Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Sunday, December 1st, 2019. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and I want to start on Maryland because the Terrapins at number three in the top 25 and one entering the weekend. And when I was asked about it by our former colleague John Solomon on Twitter Saturday afternoon, what I told him, he was like, hey, can you explain Maryland at three? And I was like, listen, uh, that's got more to do with my preseason rankings than, than anything else. See, I had Maryland number six in the preseason top 25 and one, for better or worse. Uh, then preseason number one, Michigan State, preseason number two, Duke, and preseason number three, Kentucky. They all lost as double-digit favorites, so they all dropped. And then Maryland inched up from number six to number three for no other reason than than what I just said. Regardless, uh, Maryland woke up uh, Sunday with zero signature wins on the resume, had not looked particularly good through its first seven games, but that all changed Sunday afternoon inside. The ESPN Wide World of Sports Complex in Bay Lake, Florida final score, Maryland 84, Marquette 63. The Terrapins are the champions of the Orlando Invitational, and they did it impressively. Anthony Cowan got 22 points, six rebounds, four assists, and three steals in the win. Good game for him. Bad game for Marcus Howard. Marquette star, he had 40 on Thursday against Davidson, 51 on Friday against USC. He only got six points uh, Sunday against Maryland. He was one of 12 from the field. That means he shot 8.3% from the field. Marquette is not going to win many games when he does something like that. Either way, Maryland now has a nice win on its resume. There is finally video evidence of Maryland looking like a top 10 team. So shouts to all Maryland fans, among them my uh, former editor, Mark Swanson, current editor, Adi Joseph Norlander. Simple question. Can I now count you among us believers? Are you ready to worship at the feet of Mark Turgeon? I worship at the feet of no coach in college basketball, except for Rick Bird, who's no longer active. So um, he is my one and only. However, I will praise Mark Turgeon on dodging the landmines to this point. Um, You know, Marquette was uh, certainly looking strong. They had been playing relatively well overall this season. Um, In fact, are you are you ready this early? Parrish, are you ready? Two minutes, 20 seconds into this podcast for a trivia time. I'm always ready for trivia, a trivia time. time. Hey. Oh, I, let's go then. I got a multi-layered one. So Marcus Howard, uh, he went for 51 on Friday. And in doing so, uh, he became the rare example of a player to go for 50-plus in three consecutive seasons. I don't have with me right now how many players in the history of men's D1 hoops have been able to go for 50 in three straight seasons. I would imagine the list is easily under 10, and it could well be under uh, under 5. Um, but the first part of this trivia time is this. So Marcus Howard doing that um, is is obviously, you know, Amazing and terrific and all, and all that stuff. It means Marquette uh, is one of two schools to have players with 50-point outputs in multiple seasons. It just so happens that Marcus Howard is the player who is responsible for that. But there's one other school since 2010-2011, so this decade, one other school has had two games in which one of its players has gone for at least 50 points. Now, it could be two different players. It could be two from the same player like Marquette and uh, Marcus Howard. So, listeners, I hope you're playing along. Some might have already gotten it. Maybe not. It's not, it's not that tough. It's not that easy. What's your guess, Parrish? Yeah, it sounds like the Campbell fighting camels to me. 
That is not a bad guess whatsoever. Uh, Chris Clemens went for 50-plus once in his career, though. He had 51 in the 2016-2017 season. So you're on, you're on a decent path there, but not quite. That was going to be my best guess. I don't think I can come closer than that. Let me look at a list of schools here. God knows it's not Virginia. It's certainly not Virginia. It is a school in which, you know, every couple of years or so, I uh, I definitely develop uh, something of a something of a crush on certain kind of prospects. This school would certainly apply uh, with one of the guys, and that would have been earlier in the decade. Hmm. 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 It's not. Is it Creighton? It is not Creighton. Doug McDermott uh, never went for 50-plus in a game in his college career. And to my knowledge, he hasn't done it in the NBA either. You want to know it? done it in the NBA. You want one more guess? Let's I go. don't. Let's, I don't really need one more guess. You, you don't really want me. one more guess? You know, Mr. I, I give up on trivia times too easily. You do, actually. I love, I love digging, getting in there. You're just like, all right, whatever. I don't know. Tell yeah, me. All right, the answer. Let me, let me guess Gonzaga. Gonzaga is incorrect. It is not had a player go for 50 plus. We have had one, two. So in this decade, we've had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13 instances of a player going for 50 plus, dating back to the start of the 2010 2011 season. And the only other school to have at least two games in which a player went for 50 or more, your South Dakota State Jackrabbits. Jackrabbits? Mike Dom had 51 in 2016 17. You act like I don't have a jackrabbit shirt in my closet right now. You I act do. like you didn't even know the answer to that question for a man who has a jackrabbit shirt in his closet right now. The other one is Nate Walters. Hello, 53 in the 2012-2013 season. We did not have a 50-point score in 2015-16, 2014-15, or 2013-14. But I will also note this before we circle back around to Maryland. What Howard was unable to do against Maryland was aberrational, to say the least. And But what, by that, what I mean is... In the past decade, when we've had a dude go for 50-plus, the next game has been pretty good. Quinnipiac's Cameron Young last season, who went from 55 down to 30. Furman's Jordan Lyons, he went from 54 to 17. But I will note that Jordan Lyons had 54 against a non-D1 team in North Georgia. And then last season, when Marcus Howard did this, he went from 53. His next game, he had 26. Two years ago, he went from 52 down to 37. Clemens, 51 to 33. Mike Dom, after he had a 51-point game, Parrish, he had 30 in the next one. One. Remember Marcus Keene got he averaged 30 in a season 2016-2017 after his 50 point output he had 28 and Ray Lee uh had 50 he went down to 14 the next one he's the actually the only comparable guy cuz Tennessee Tech's Kevin Murphy went from 50 to 33 Jimmer Fredette 2010-2011 had 52 in the MWC semis, had 30 in the title game, lost for BYU. That was the same year Marshawn Brooks got 52 for Providence. He only had 17 the next game. And then who? Mike James out of Lamar had a 52-point game in 2011. His next game was 22 points. The point is, when you go for 50-plus, the next night out, you're usually guaranteed, at least the record says, in this decade to go north of 25, but that was not even close to the case with Marquette and Marcus Howard. Obviously, that's all good stuff. Still, a little disrespectful to the Maryland Terrapins to 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 spend five minutes on uh, a dude who just went one of twelve against them. When the Maryland ta- Terrapins are the, they're your champions of the 
Orlando Invitational. They did that. It, they, they're holding an Orlando Invitational trophy right now, listening to the Iowa College Basketball Podcast, and they're like, why is Norlander pleasuring himself to Marcus Howard, who just went 1-12 for 12 against us? That's a fair point, because Maryland is 8-0, and oh, and you said you had him 6 in the preseason in your rankings. I believe I had him 5, so you were essentially the same. We thought about him on equal footing overall there, and credit to Maryland. Um, it hasn't been, you know, this dominant stretch where they've looked overwhelming and the Terrapins haven't really, you know, commanded headlines to this point. But uh, Terps fans got to take this and run with it, man. I mean, you are off to an 8-0 store start, and that is obviously not common. Um, it's the first time this has happened under Turgeon, I believe, Parrish. I mean, they've had a few 6-0 starts and a few 7-0 starts, but they haven't actually won this many. Now, they had a great memory. You back 2012-2013, uh, they were really good that year. I looked it up before we potted. They started 13-1, and but they opened the season with a loss, a close loss to Kentucky. Um, what was weird was they they wound up spinning out. They didn't, uh, they didn't make the tournament. They went to the NIT. Uh, but that was the last time that Maryland started a season similar to this where there was such high hopes um but right now best start ever under mark turgeon to get the win get that what orlando invitational whatever it's called now <laughs> the trophy whatever um beat temple uh beat harvard and uh, they look relatively solid in the harvard game and then marquette just a big time win I mean, I mean marcus howard that'll be the worst game he has this season i would imagine and so yeah they're uh they're they're certainly they're more than back on track they are firmly in the top five in the polls and they are operating like a top five team in college basketball it wasn't just a win over a quality team. It was an overwhelming win against a quality team. So overwhelming that they jumped from 17th to 9th at Ken Palm with just this one game. Um, they're now, uh, they're now ranked eighth in offensive efficiency, even though they're only shooting 31.6% from three and they're benefiting from something that we've talked about before. Borderline or, or reasonable NBA prospects who decide to come back to school. Um, Jalen Smith, better prospect than Anthony Cowan, but they, they both at least, you know, had a decision to make on some level and they both decided to come back to school. And now they're both leading a, a, a top five team. Uh, Cowan's averaging 17.1 points, 4.5 assists in 31.1 minutes per game. Jalen Smith, 13.4 points, nine rebounds, two blocks per game. Uh, Anthony Cowan, by the way, quietly putting together one of the more productive, um, you know, scoring, um, careers in in maryland basketball history he has 1512 career points right now he's averaging 17.1 points per game right now so let's say maryland makes the big 10 title game whether they win it or lose it he's in it and maryland makes the sweet 16 at the very least that means he would play 29 more games he would score 496 more points in 29 more games if he actually averaged 17.1 points per game the rest of the season, and that would give him 2,008 career points. He'd be just the seventh Maryland player to reach the 2,000-point club. Trivia time. I got to name the other six dudes who have done this. How many can you name? Joe Smith. Not not on there. Gosh. Not a 2,000-point score. Grievous Vasquez. Is number two all-time at Maryland, 2,171. Len Bias. Is number three, 2,449. Juan Dixon. Is the leading scorer in Maryland basketball history, 2,269. Steve Blake. Not on the list. Uh, the, the other three are older players. Okay, so no one in the decade. No. Or even the, even the past 20 years. 
Um, I mean, I don't know. I don't, what do you mean I don't, you don't know? What do you, I, I, I don't think I don't think so. Not in the last twenty years. No. Oh man. I'll um, just give no, 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 no. Hey, 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 hey. I, I, I think there's only one you're gonna get. So two. Uh, give me one that you definitely think I won't get. Albert King. I wouldn't have got Big Al. <laughs> do you do you do you know Albert King at all? Uh, no. Um, yeah. seventy-seven to eighty-one. He's like the Terry Teagle of uh, Maryland. Oh, he is. He's basically, the Terry Teagle of Maryland. Okay, I didn't realize we were dealing with the Terry Teagle of Maryland here. Um, this is annoying. Uh, I I feel like there's a really good Maryland player from the seventies that I'm blanking on. Okay, one of them, he's he's actually six, 2,100. Oh, dude, how about uh, 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 Lynn Elmore? Lynn Elmore is not on the list. Lynn Elmore, I believe, is all-time leading rebounder, but not on the not a 2,000-point score. <sighs> okay. Um, that's actually kind of surprising. Give me another one that you don't think I can get. Adrian Branch. Adrian Branch. If we had been there for like an hour and a half, I might have gotten to it. 2017 career points. He played from 81 to 85. The last, the the last, the 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 sixth on the list. 2015 career points. I'll give you a clue. He had a son who played college basketball. Had a son who so played college not, basketball. So is now Lonnie assistant Baxter. basketball. It's not Lonnie Baxter. It's not Lonnie Baxter. <laughs> Had a son who played college basketball. And is a current It's not Drew Nicholas, right? Nope. Because that son would <laughs> he would have had to have that son when he was ten years old. Um Oh how, no. Never mind. I had a, a weird uh <laughs> you know where my mind went? <laughs> In a total confluence of college basketball, Gary Parrish. <laughs> I thought Daryl Strawberry had a son who played college basketball. That- no, it's not. DJ Strawberry is not the answer. No, 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 no. But I, I was just saying what you said is true. Daryl Strawberry had a son who played college basketball. That's true. And he played at Maryland. Um. Yes. DJ Strawberry yes, played at Maryland. That's true. Okay. Yeah. Here's the play. Here's the guy. All right. Just give it up. What, he, who he is? scored two thousand points at Maryland. He had um two sons who played college basketball. Um, both played in the Big Twelve. One of them is a current. Big 12 assistant, and this this player, the 2,000-point score, was an NBA head coach. Uh, I don't have any idea who this person is. John Lucas. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Suck me sideways. That's awful. Gosh, that's just horrendous. Come on, man. <laughs> oh. I should have had that. That's John bad. Luke. Uh, Jay Lucas is now an assistant coach at Texas, and um, and his other uh, his other son, um, John Lucas, uh, played at Oklahoma State. Was on the Final Four team, I think. Uh, I think that might be right. time and time inside the trivia time. All right, Love enough it. with history. The point was to celebrate Maryland's present. The Terrapins are eight and zero. They're now a top ten Kim Palm team. They just blew out Marquette. Um, for the first time, I think all season they looked the part. I will say, people kept saying, asking me, "Well, what what has Maryland done?" I, I don't know. How about just avoided an upset? 
Like, that's better than a lot of teams have done. It's better than what Duke's done, Kentucky's done, um, better than what uh, Michigan State's done. So there's something to be said for just winning all the games you're supposed to win. But now they do have a, an impressive win on national television. They're holding the Orlando Invitational Trophy, Maryland 8-0, and and safely in the top five, the top 25, and one. All right. Okay. Let's move on. Okay. So Maryland wins the Orlando Invitational this weekend. Up the road in Niceville, Florida, Florida State won the Emerald Coast Classic. They beat Tennessee on Friday, beat Purdue on Saturday. So the Seminoles are now 7-1 and one with wins over those schools, plus a road victory at Florida. Just went inside the O-Dome and worked the Gators silly. I've got FSU number 18 in the top 25-1 and one right now. If not for a season-opening loss at Pitt, two-point loss on the road, ACC opener, they'd probably be in the top 10 everywhere right now. Norlander, you had Florida State number 42 in your preseason 1-353 to 353 rankings. That's 36 spots below the Florida team they've already beaten, mm. 24 spots below the Purdue team they've already beaten, one spot below the Tennessee team they've already beaten. I will provide you with an opportunity right now to apologize Leonard Hamilton, Stan Jones, and, and MJ Walker if you want. Um, no, I won't apologize. I mean, I missed on it, but I, I want to see how this plays out the rest of the season. Uh, they, have a, they have a solid team. There's, there's no doubt about it. And I had a great conversation in the preseason at ACC Media Day with Leonard Hamilton and MJ Walker. And Leonard Hamilton is one of the best college basketball follows on Twitter because <laughs> – He's just he's just flexing on the fact that he's like a 70-year-old that looks like a 42-year-old, and it's been like that since he was a 31-year-old. So it's just it's an amazing thing all around with Leonard Hamilton. And these are the golden ages of Florida State basketball. There's no doubt about it. Um, 14th at Ken Palm, 23rd at Torvik, and they have uh, – now they got, they got the win against Purdue, which is great. Um, to my surprise, by the way, I tried – Parish, after we podcasted on Friday, I tried to make it through the Purdue VCU game, which was on CBS Sports Network, and I thought that VCU VCU was winning, and I thought they won. I, I straight up fell asleep. Get this. I fell asleep probably with about four minutes to go in that game, and I wake up at, I don't even know, like 1.41 in the morning, and literally John Rossing is yelling at me on my television. Like, I just was, like, so disoriented. I was like, oh, what's what's going on? I, I guess VCU he's probably, tell, he's probably telling you the chemical makeup of some team. <laughs> just, he, was, he, lo- he loves I love Rossing. He loves to tell you about people's chemical makeup. Oh, it was it was jarring, to say the least. Um, but uh, so anyway, the point was I actually didn't think – that uh, that Florida State was going to be playing Purdue. I thought it was going to be uh, VCU. But nonetheless, they get the win. They get an overtime. Uh, Purdue's a weird team to figure out at the moment because they're good, but they keep get, getting these these tight losses. Um, but, yeah, the Tennessee win, uh, certainly impressive. And defensively, they there's somewhat similar to Virginia, only in that they lost some dudes, and yet they are trending very strong on that side of the ball. And I do love that... Uh, that we wanted to talk some some Knowles here on the podcast because I do think, and I don't know I don't know why this is. Maybe it's because it's like from an appeal standpoint, like it's the ninth or tenth uh, traditionally most attractive team in its own league. But Florida State has been awesome a lot, and they just te- don't tend to get a lot of run. They made the tournament the past three seasons. They made an Elite Eight. They're averaging twenty six wins per year in that span, and they're obviously tracking to that again. Um, Hamilton for the second time in his career has Florida State on pace to make four straight NCAA tournaments. He did that from 2009 to 2012. Then there was a little bit of a drought. And whereas this program once was seen as 
the kind of school that got good talent and didn't do enough with it. That is now uh, slowly but surely uh, turning itself around, and the the Seminoles are, are shaping themselves up to get into that conversation for the top of the ACC. I won't definitively say they're there yet, but whereas it was Virginia, Carolina, Duke, Louisville, and then draw a big, thick line and get to the rest of the teams, Florida State certainly uh, is approaching the table to be in that discussion. You know, Leonard's uh, really got this thing operating at a high level right now. He went to the Elite Eight in 2018, Sweet 16 last season, was one of only two teams to beat Virginia last season, been to three straight NCAA tournaments overall. And for whatever this is worth, it's just something I noticed, he's never finished worse than 7-9 and nine or 8-10 and 10 in the ACC in 14 straight seasons. So he's never bottomed out like Mike Bray did last season at Notre Dame like Jim Laranaga did last season at Miami, and only bring them up because they're two coaches everybody agrees on. Like, they're great at their jobs, and yet even they are susceptible of just going well below 500 in the ACC in any given season. 14 straight seasons, Leonard's never been worse than 7-9 and nine or 8-10. and 10. How about this? Syracuse entered the ACC in the 2013-14 season. Since then, you realize Jim Beheim and Leonard Hamilton basically have the same winning percentage in the ACC? Uh, I would have thought that Hamilton would have been better, actually. Yeah, Bayheim's at 57% in the ACC since the 2014 season started. Leonard Hamilton's at 55% uh, since the same uh, season. So, uh, you know, one of those guys is a, is a Hall of Famer with a national championship, and the other one is, you know, coaching in Tallahassee with much less acclaim. And yet, Leonard Hamilton is the winningest coach in Florida State history, seventh winningest coach in ACC history, two-time Big East Coach of the Year, two-time ACC Coach of the Year, was the United Press International, UPI, National Coach of the Year in 1995. It's an incredible career. Plus, as you pointed out, he's 71, but he looks 47. 42. How dare you? He looks better Memphis. than me. Like, honest to God, he looks better than me. He's looked better than you for 10 years. Yes, this isn't breaking news. There has never been a point in my life where I was a better-looking human than Leonard Hamilton. Maybe when you were 14. I think you were, you had a good year then. I think you were No, really I didn't. My, no? I, I had a smaller neck. My neck wasn't so fat back then. But okay. um, I have a terrible neck-to-waist ratio. It's unbelievable. Oh, my goodness. All right, so Florida State is going to— you know about my neck-to-waist yes, ratio? Yes, you've talked about it on the podcast like six times before. Yes. What, right. what are we going to do about my neck-to-waist ratio? It there's, doesn't make any sense. There's not I, much you can do at this point, I'm afraid. My man, my man uh, Van Weinberg, who runs James, who uh, owns James Davis in in uh, in Memphis, shouts to James Davis. That's where I get all my suits for inside college basketball. He said he's never seen a waist-to-neck disparity like my waist-to-neck disparity. 32 waist, 18-inch neck. Doesn't even make sense. Florida State has Indiana on the road on December 3rd. That's Tuesday for those keeping track at home. And, um, well, that'll actually be damn interesting in the ACC Big Ten Challenge, of course. Um, and that will be Florida State's third non-conference road game of the season. Credit to Leonard Hamilton for a lot of things. And although he had no control over Florida State going on the road in this particular instance, you just don't see many teams. I think the number is fewer than five this season exactly from a power conference playing three non-conference road games. That's exactly what Florida State's done. And if it beats Indiana, I can almost assure you this team is going to be in the NCAA tournament because it will be 2-1 and one in true non-con road games and 8-1 and through this point in the season. And if it can just tread water in the ACC, uh, its resume is going to wind up stacking up very well against others that might be competing for similar seed lines when we get to the middle of March.
by the way, using a similar formula to be good. Uh, they're number three in defensive efficiency right now, and they have four players averaging, Florida State does, between 9.6 points and 12.5 uh, points. I mean, it seems like they've always – they've never got big scores. They've just got a bunch of guys all bunched up averaging right around the same. It, two seasons ago, they had nobody averaging more than 12.8. Last season, nobody averaged more than 13.2. And now nobody averaging more than 12.5. So, like I said, similar formula. Balanced scoring and strong defense. And I do want to uh, send special shouts to Stan Jones because he's a longtime Leonard Hamilton assistant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he he does a lot of the heavy lifting there. I think people in basketball probably know that. I don't know that casual fans do. Um, but it was interesting after Florida State beat Tennessee on Friday, the post game interview. I can't remember which player it was. I don't think I've ever seen this before. The the you know the sideline reporter asked the player like about you know hey how big of a win is this or whatever you ask when you're a sideline reporter and. The uh, player said, Coach Jones had a great game plan. He really had us ready for this. Mm. It just didn't even mention Leonard Hamilton at all. <laughs> he was talking about Kostain Jones. He's like, Coach Jones had a great game plan, had us, you know, had us ready for this. And it's just, I, I think, evidence that Stan really plays. You know, he's, he's never on those hottest assistant list or, you know, next to get a big job list. But when you're talking about the success of Leonard Hamilton and the success of Florida State under Leonard Hamilton, uh, Stan Jones is a big, big, big part of that. Yeah, no, I I agree with that. That's a kind of you and accurate of you uh, to bring it up right now. Florida State, where are they right now in your top 25 and one then? Or where do you expect them to be if you have not assembled it for Monday morning? I have assembled it, and I believe I've got them. I'll tell you exactly. I think it's 18. It is 18. They're 18th, one spot behind undefeated Arizona, one spot ahead of the one-loss Tennessee team that they just beat. Okay, so um, before we move on, I did want to bring this up. We, we kind of uh, maneuvered out of our previous thing a little too quick. So there's one 9-0 team in college basketball. We mentioned Maryland's 8-0. There's one 9-0 team in college hoops. Do you know who it is? Mini trivia time, quick trivia time, 9-0? Is Paul, people are, is it DePaul? I know it's DePaul not, it is there. not DePaul. Uh, your Liberty Flames, who are coming off an NCAA tournament appearance last season, were projected to be really, uh, by yours truly, a top four, top five mid-major in the country. Um, they're 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 looking good right now. They're 9-0. They're the only 9-0 team. But uh, the reason why I bring up these strong records is I believe there are five 8-0 teams in America right now, Maryland being one of them. Um Delaware being another. Now, I know Delaware's not in your top 25 and 1, but shout out to the Blue Hens. Um, DePaul is 8 0. Do you have DePaul ranked? No. You disgust me. Why um, not? I just, listen, I, I, I don't have DePaul. There are, uh, there are undefeated teams that are on my radar. Arkansas is one. Arkansas 7 and 0, strong Kinpom numbers, incredible defensive numbers. They're on my radar. They would probably be first team out right now. Um San Diego State is undefeated and and really played well. Mm-hmm. Um still only 37th at Kinpom, but they started the season at 97 and they're up to 37 at Kinpom. That's a team that's obviously on my radar. Beat Iowa, beat Creighton, got a win at BYU early. And DePaul, you know, I'm still skeptical that they're really one of the top 25 or 26 teams in America, but, like, 
Don't let me ruin the fun for anybody. DePaul is undefeated. It's December 1st. DePaul is undefeated with a win over Iowa and a win over Minnesota. Um, still only 59th at Ken Palm. But, again, they started at 76, so they move in the right direction. Yeah, so Arizona's another Notre Dame team. Then you hit the other two, DePaul and then San Diego State. San Diego State's number nine at Torvik right now. And they, I think, uh, almost uh, indisputably should be ranked. Uh, they have a road win against BYU. They have another road win. They beat San Diego and are coming off wins against Creighton. They just destroyed Kate Creighton, and then they had very little issue with Iowa overall. Um, so... Um, they're thirty-seven and one, nine in another metric. To me, that's a that's a top twenty-five team in America right now. But they did start low, uh, relatively speaking, and just you know, credit to Brian Dutcher who talking about assistants who sometimes don't get the credit. Brian Dutcher was uh, Steve Fisher's right hand man for a long time, and then he was the coach in waiting. And now it seems like he might have that thing kind of going. San Diego State will have another road game at Colorado State Wednesday night. Um, I'm not going to ask you to promise me anything, but if San Diego State is 9-0 with another road win, Parrish, you really do need to have them ranked by the time we get to the middle of the week. I, you know, I got you. Got to make room for them. Somebody, you know, somebody. You could only put 26 in the top 25 and one, but certainly, like if I had a top 25 and five right now, San Diego State would be in it undeniably. All right, dig it. All right, what else do you want to get to? Okay, ACC Big Ten Challenge gets underway Monday, really gets good on Tuesday. We're going to get into that next, but first. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud, or the third-row seating, Get your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. So the annual ACC Big Ten Challenge gets underway Monday. Two games on the schedule, Miami at Illinois, Clemson at Minnesota. Neither of those games going to move the needle much, although Illinois is 6-1 and one with the lone loss coming to Arizona. The top 45 in Ken Palm right now, so shouts to Tom Fernelli. Like I said earlier, things get really good on Tuesday, though. The premier game was supposed to be Duke at Michigan State, and I suppose it still is on some level. But to me, the more interesting game now is Michigan at Louisville. According to the top 25-1, and one, that's going to be number one Louisville against number five Michigan inside the Yum Center. Both teams will enter with perfect 7-0 records. And like I said on Friday's podcast, if Michigan wins inside the Yum Center on Tuesday night, the Wolverines will be 8-0 with wins over Louisville, Gonzaga, and North Carolina, and they'll be number one, I promise, hand to heart. On, on all my boys' lives, they'll be number one in Wednesday morning's updated top 25-1. and one. Can they do it, Norlander? Are you ready to predict Michigan over Louisville inside the Yum Center? Wow, you're just going to bypass that Clemson-Minnesota game on Monday night like it's nothing. Um, remember, inside inside the Yum Center, um, I can't wait to watch them try. This is going to be 
terrific game. I'm extremely eager to see what we get out of Michigan in another interesting environment, this one being hostile and on the road. Uh, Louisville, it will be the first uh, moment in the spotlight for the Cardinals. They have not yet had uh, a game of national relevance and prominence. Uh, They started the season on the road at Miami on that Tuesday, but obviously that was wildly overshadowed by a little thing called the Champions Classic. Since then, it's been Youngstown State, Indiana State, North Carolina Central, USC Upstate, Akron, and then a neutral court win Friday night, this past Friday night, over Western Kentucky. So for for me, I think the whole country wants to see if Michigan can live up to that hype, but Louisville is going to be the one with the number one ranking, and being that it's number one in Ken Palm right now, that's no small thing. We get to see what Chris Mack and this team is all about, and it will be, uh, sure, an ample opportunity for the uh, for the greater college basketball watching public. But yes, Parrish, to me, this is the most intriguing game of that night and of this week now by function of what Michigan's been able to do, and now Mich- uh, Louisville, you know, the fourth number one team in, in five weeks in college hoops. Independent of everything else, I think Michigan winning on Tuesday night is the more interesting story. It, it would be Jawan Howard remaining undefeated with these big wins, and um, I think in a position to, to move Michigan to number one in the AP poll when it updates the following uh, Monday. Just all sorts of good stuff there. But if you're looking for the better long-term story, you might want Louisville to win the game because if Louisville wins the game, they've got um, a neutral court with Texas Tech that's going to be at the Garden Jimmy V Classic on December 10th. But they should if they are able to win Tuesday. And by the way, Texas Tech just lost to Iowa and Creighton, so who knows what's going on with them. Mm-hmm. But in theory, if if Louisville is able to beat Michigan on Tuesday night, it should be undefeated on December 28th, 12-0, ranked number one in the country when they interrupt arena three days after Christmas. That would be tremendous. That would be tremendous. And, yeah, just a real quick thing, because we tend to talk about more about the positive than the negative. We do, if teams are sliding, I just did – you hit on it real quick. Like, Texas Tech, that's – that's the thing from the past few days that really no, no one saw coming. I mean, just drop back-to-back games, now they're 5-2. and two. Uh, Iowa wasn't close and then dropped one against Creighton overall. But yeah, for Louisville, uh, I think you're right in terms of more big picture, and it's more than just Jordan Wara, but he's been terrific. I mean, he's shooting 50% from three-point range at this point. That's way better than anyone have thought, would have thought uh, overall. So um, I, I expect Parrish. I expected Louisville to be top 10 quality for most of the season in college basketball it hasn't been really tested all that much here now we get a real I just I'm I'm really eager of all the teams in the top 10 I'm really eager to finally see Louisville get that kind of challenge overall um, with Michigan coming in and it'll be it'll be an exciting night no doubt about it you know Jordan probably hasn't gotten uh, enough attention or as much attention as some other players in this country a because Louisville hasn't had this big signature game like so many other teams have already and B you know he's not a projected top five picks so we don't pay attention to him like he's Anthony Edwards or or Cole Anthony or James Wiseman but you know he's averaging 22 and 7 shooting not only 50 percent from three 50 percent from the field and 90 percent from the free throw line he's number two in the Ken Palm player of the year uh standings right now so uh you know I, I think some people thought he could be a first-team All-American, you know, in the preseason, if we were giving away those awards right now through the first month of the season, he, he very much looks the part. He does look the part, and um, I want to see him and that whole team have to face off uh, against that Michigan defense. I think we've got a good shot at getting a great defensive game with still plenty of offense overall. Like, it could be – if that game lives up to what it can, it can be like a 70 
72-69 outcome, but highly entertaining, and and you know both forces, offense and defense, working against each other. There's just there's there's a lot of appeal there, and this is just this has become the one game that three weeks ago no one saw coming to be such a high profile kind of thing. But yeah, it's the highlight of Tuesday. Um, this doesn't count in our uh, final four and one picks, but if you had to predict that Louisville, Michigan, just straight up win, I think Louisville wins a close game. <sighs> Give me Louisville by seven. Um, so not crazy close, but not a blowout. Uh, I do like Louisville more than Michigan. I'm very much sold on what Michigan has looked like. Uh, I got a little bit of a feeling here that Chris Mack is going to have his guys ready. And one of those like seven-point victories where we look back and say like Louisville really had the control of the game for most of it. So, yeah, so I'll just basically I'll throw, throw it out like a 73-66 win. Um. One more last thing on this matchup, specifically on Michigan. Uh, obviously, Jawan Howard gets the – he's in his first season, so he inherited a lot of his schedule. He got the job later than most college coaches get jobs, later in the calendar. So you would assume that – my point is, John Beeline didn't do him any favors with the schedule, although he is handling the schedule brilliantly so far. They're in the middle of a stretch right now. Keep in mind, they still got to go play a whole Big Ten schedule. Yeah. All right? So, like, But – so usually you don't spend November, December dealing with the stuff he's dealing with when you got to play an entire Big Ten schedule or ACC schedule or Big 12 schedule or whatever. They're in the middle of a stretch right now of seven games against nothing but top 50 Ken Palm teams. They just beat Iowa State, North Carolina, Gonzaga. Then they get Louisville on Tuesday. That's number one at Ken Palm. And then they get Iowa, Illinois, and Oregon after that. So this is a, a tough stretch, but... Uh, Michigan's looked the part so far. I, I'm looking forward to that game. I didn't think I'd be looking any, you know, like in the preseason. I go through my little calendar on my uh, computer, and I, I, the big games that you know you need to pay attention to, or you might even go to, you sort of you you you, you make note of them, right? It turns out I'm going to be in studio in New York on Tuesday night, so I couldn't go to Michigan State Duke. But that's one that you know way early in the summer I've got that one or whenever it was announced. You go, all right, I'm put that in now. I don't want to forget when that is. I didn't think there would be a better game. Uh, on that night than there is, but now I there's one um, that I'm looking forward to even more. Louisville, Michigan, um, in the ACC Big Ten Challenge on on Tuesday night. Uh, it it should be terrific. So that game tips at 7:30 Eastern, and then after that at 9:30 Eastern, it will be Duke at Michigan State. That's a game between two teams that both have Hall of Fame coaches. It's a game between two teams that have both been ranked number one this season. It's a game between two teams that have both taken horrendous losses in the past week. Michigan State lost to Virginia Tech last Monday. You know, Virginia Tech hasn't won since. I well, I know. It, it was too, You say The way you phrased that was like it's been like three and a half weeks. But, yes, they, they subsequently lost their next two games. And, uh, yeah, how quickly the, uh, the narratives around Mike Young and Virginia Tech can change. But, yes, I did notice that. <laughs> Everybody was like, Mike Young is the genius on Monday night. And it's like losing to Dayton. It's like, go back to Wofford, Mike Young. Yeah. Okay, so uh, that's that's Michigan State's bad loss. Duke, of course, took an even worse loss. Stephen F. Austin last Tuesday. The father of Texas, the daddy of Duke. They went to Jonesboro after that. Smashed Arkansas State by 18 points, Norlander. Smashed him. You got that one. Yes. And I, well, I was going to say, I don't know. I actually haven't looked at our picks and like who won and who lost, but I, I have a feeling that you actually bested me this weekend. I had a better week than you, but I still haven't caught you. You're now, uh, your record is 9-10-1, and, and I am 8-11-1. Hold on. Did I, did I lose all five of my picks? No, you got one right. I don't know okay. what it was. All right. You did. I'm, I was off on that Utah St. Mary's. I knew within, I watched that late Friday uh, for quite, 
quick second before I fell asleep to wake up to John Rothstein yelling at me. And I was like, yeah, I should have taken St. Mary's. I don't know what I was doing. Um, but okay, so I still got the lead on you. But yes, I was I was very wrong because uh, Stephen friggin' Austin had no issues going into Jonesboro and getting that win. Um, but yeah, Duke, Michigan State, um, it will be the more hyped matchup because... It's Duke at Michigan State. I get all that. Trey Jones, Cassius Winston. I'm still plenty intrigued by it. I, I'm just more intrigued by Michigan at Louisville. But I promise you, when we record our podcast Wednesday morning, we will be talking about both those games in probably equal measure there. Um, loser of this being at two losses, obviously, depending on the outcome here. And this is a rare instance where Duke is playing. I, I'm going to... I'm gonna. Improv off the top of my head, Paris. I want to say for like the past six years, maybe seven years, the only time we have seen Duke play in a road environment and non-conference play was when it was dictated by ESPN's ACC Big Ten Challenge, putting Duke on the road in these in an every other year situation here. So, of course, this is the only time in non-con play we'll see Duke play in a road environment. Michigan State needs to take advantage of that, uh, especially after having that, you know, that rough loss that it took uh, – against Virginia Tech, and just to avoid being 5-3, and three, you know, if that's the case, then Michigan State will have lost to three of the four best teams it's, it's faced, Virginia Tech, Kentucky, and Duke, with its win. Impressive, nonetheless, still, uh, over Seton Hall, which is still, you know, it's it's looked relatively solid. I, it lost at, at Battle for Atlantis against Oregon, but came back and got the job done against Southern Miss and Iowa State there. Um, Duke, we should note, is without Cassius Stanley. He went down. Initial concerns were that it might be something of a knee variety non-contact, which is obviously never a good thing. But in this case, uh, more you know, in the in the leg and hamstring area, Mike Shashevsky said after Duke was able to rebound and and win uh, against Winthrop by 13 on Friday night that he's out for you know the foreseeable future. As long as Mike Shashevsky is not Kevin Willard, that means Cassius Stanley will not play against Michigan State, and we will not see him probably until we flip the calendar to January, which means that he would be out for uh, a minimum of five games. Michigan State, then Virginia Tech, uh, Wofford, Brown, and Boston College are who Duke has before it gets to 2020, and it has a road game at Miami. So just keep that in mind, because it's no small thing. Cassius Stanley is Duke's most athletic player. I actually think he's been even more than a spark plug. He's been a fantastic addition to start this season and while Kerry has been the most valuable player and Trey Jones is right behind him um, Cassius Stanley is no small thing he's their third most important player to this point and not having him in a road environment you, we could well come to find that that is actually the difference between a Duke win and a Duke loss on Tuesday night the announcement of that injury the other night was weird because it wasn't like Twitter doctors were speculating oh my god that's a non-contact knee injury Duke's official Twitter account Duke Basketball's official Twitter account said Cassius Stanley will not return knee injury. And it was like, oh. And, it, you know, you, you start thinking the worst then. And then after the game, Mike Krzyzewski says it's not a knee, it's a hamstring. Uh, so, it, you know, I don't know. It, it's weird how that got mixed up. Like, usually schools are, are more careful about publicly, officially announcing an injury until they know – you know, that's why they cut, they'll, they'll sometimes call it a lower leg injury. They just won't get involved or, or uh, you know, a leg injury. They just won't get mm -hmm. specific until they know exactly this was called a knee injury and then Kay called it a hamstring injury. Either way, they're not expecting back until after Christmas is what uh, my understanding is. So, again, barring a, a, a Kevin Willard uh, miracle, he will not play uh, at, at the Breslin Center. You know, this could have been a game 
between number one Duke and number two Michigan State or number three Michigan State if they'd have just like not lost to Stephen F. Austin and yeah. not lost to Virginia Tech. So it'll be vastly different now. I've got both those teams outside of the top ten of the top 25 and run right now. Are you in agreement with me? Michigan State needs this more. For Duke, it's just a road at the Breslin Center, a uh, road loss at the Breslin Center. Like, who cares? Uh, Michigan State, given that they already lost on a neutral court to Kentucky, then lost to a Virginia Tech team pick 14th in the ACC, you start taking a home loss to a Duke team that is missing a top three player, we start asking big questions about you, right? Uh, yeah, I don't know if I agree with you or not. Um... If Michigan State loses this, it does not have another good out-of-conference opportunity to bolster the resume, and so it's going to have to rely on being awesome in what is going to be a very good Big Ten. I mean, the Big Ten uh, is pretty close to the Big 12, in my opinion, right now, in the Big East. like It's those three conferences that look the best overall top to bottom, but I don't know. If Duke were to lose, it'd be 7-2, and two, and then it's got to turn around three days later and play at Virginia Tech, which has been the bugaboo of Duke basketball here and there over the past 10, 12 years in the sport, as you well know, Parrish. So if Duke were to lose against Michigan State and then the unthinkable, borderline, I guess, drop a road game against Virginia Tech, suddenly it's 7-3, and three and it's kind of spinning out. And for Duke, it's the same thing. It doesn't have another good non-con opportunity remaining. Everything else is just uh, is bird feet, so to speak. So they would have to need to rely on, you know, punching down and successfully punching down in the ACC. I expect no matter what happens here, Michigan State wins by 4 or 40 or Duke wins by 4 or 40. I expect Michigan State to be the best team in the Big Ten when we get to the end of the season. I don't expect Duke to be the best team in the ACC when we get to the end of the season. So my roundabout way of answering your question is it's more important for Duke because I think it's going to take more losses in conference play. Ooh, I think that's crazy. I would argue this. I'd argue it this way: If you're Michigan State, you're the preseason number one, almost a consensus number one. You lose your opener to a Kentucky team that subsequently lost at home to Evansville. Then you lose to a Virginia Tech team that was picked 14th in the ACC that subsequently lost to Dayton and BYU, and I mean got run off the court by Dayton and BYU. And then you lose at home to a Duke team that it just lost to Stephen F. Austin and it's now missing a top three play. That's bad. I got That's you, big. but I, you're starting to get – you're starting to really like – it could be a Virginia Tech team who then subsequently beats Duke on its own floor. So I know what you're saying, but those threads are really starting to splay out in a lot of different directions there. Five and three – they'd be five and three with the three losses being what I just explained. When you're the preseason number one, you can't sit there like that. I don't ever get freaked – and by the way, when I say – if Michigan State lose this one, we start asking big questions. Not big questions like, are the Spartans going to the NIT? Like, nothing like that. But just like, man, they, they don't look anything close to, like, one of the best teams in the country. Um, that's what I mean by, by big questions. For Duke, I don't know. I just never freak out when you go and lose a game, you know, to a top whatever Michigan State is right now. When you let's, – well, let's just call them what they are according to Ken Palm, number two. Like, you lose on the road to the team ranked second at Ken Palm. I don't even – Pay, like whatever you're supposed to lose that game like it, it's a it, it's supposed to be a loss before the, the the season even starts but Michigan State being five and three after eight games with losses to it would be with losses to a team that that lost to Evansville to a team that lost to BYU and Dayton by a million points combined and to a team that lost to Stephen F. Austin maybe they would be headed to the NIT now that I think about it 
Maybe they would. Duke is 14th at Torvik, by the way. Fourth is Michigan State. I, I, I will take Michigan State to win this game. I think you agree with me. I think Michigan State is the better team, and obviously it's the healthier team at this point. Um, uh, but I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm really intrigued. Now, keep in mind, I don't have the record off the top of my head here, but Izzo's career mark against Krzyzewski is not good at all. I want to say he has two wins in his career against Coach K. I think it's that low pair, so just, you know, he gets the benefit of his home floor here. But uh, when these two have gone head-to-head uh, -head over the years, and it's, it, we are in no shortage of those, Mike Krzyzewski has owned Izzo. Well, we talked about it, I guess it was two years ago. They played in the Champions Classic, and it was a storyline going in. Uh, I remember being there wherever it was that year. And it was a big storyline going in, like Tom Izzo's record, career record against Mike Krzyzewski. And Mike got asked about it because then Duke beat him again. It was 88-81 that year. Michigan State goes on to, to go, you know, they 30-5 and five at the end of the season, but they lost to Duke again. So Izzo took another L to K. And I just remember thinking it was funny because somebody in the press conference was asking Mike Krzyzewski about, you know, his about Izzo's lack of success against him. And, and Mike, like, you know, he was talking around it. But he basically said, if you could translate what he was, was really meant, what he was trying to say is, dude, go look at anybody's record against me. <laughs> Nobody has a good record against me. Like, I do, I do this to everybody. I'm Mike Krzyzewski. My teams are almost always better than everybody else's team. So, like, yes, he's, he loses to me almost always. Almost everybody loses to me almost always. It's not really that big of a deal. I have the record. And it's 2-11 and 11 all time, Izzo versus Krzyzewski. Now, one of the two has happened in this calendar year. I mean, it was Michigan State, Cassius Winston, that knocked off the number one overall seeded Duke Blue Devils with Zion Williamson and co. back in, in late March. So, you know, could go 2-0 and in 2019 and 3-11 for his lifetime, but just uh, just another a little bit of a mild subplot there uh, with that game. You're right. I do agree with you. Michigan State wins the game. I'll take it a bit further. Wins it by double digits. Look at you. I think, I think you're going to look up Tuesday night inside the Breslin Center, and at some point in that game, Michigan State's going to be up 15 points. Wow. Okay. Uh, it's not. It's not. That's not outrageous to me. But bottom line here, I think Louisville is going to win comfortably, and you think that's going to be tight. I think Michigan State will win tight, and you think it's going to be comfortable. So we agree with both winners, but we disagree in the way each winner gets to that ending. Right. Louisville in a competitive game. Michigan State pulls away from. Duke. Um, all right. Norlander promised you uh, two podcast comments this week. The deal is on Sunday's podcast, we I will go into the Apple podcast reviews and I'll read the most recent ones and I'll pick out one. I said one. That's why that's all I ever promised. I said one. And it's a way to encourage people to, to do what I've been asking you to do for years now, honestly. Just please, if you can, subscribe, uh, rate it five stars and leave a nice comment because all of that stuff, yes, it's very self-serving. Uh, I, there's so many places I can read bad things about myself on the internet. This is one place where, in theory, I can read good things about myself. So I like it. Just makes me feel better. It it, it raises my mood, but also, um, you know, it, it helps grow the podcast, make it bigger and, and and more visible to people. And beyond all that, for you guys' purposes, it ensures that the episode shoots right into your phone ASAP. And so, to encourage all that, I said, listen, on Sunday we'll highlight. Uh, 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 one review each week, and then Norlander I spoke out of turn. Spoke out of turn hey, a little bit. Hey, thankfulness. Thankfulness. Thanksgiving weekend. We are thankful. Okay, we're thankful. So I found two. Okay, you ready? I'm ready, and I'm thankful. 
The first one comes from, from Keith Dotley, and here's what he writes. He said, my life wouldn't be the same without this podcast. I can't stop listening whether I do it at lunch, on my ride home from practice, or catching up on uh, the last two episodes on the drive to Olive Branch, Mississippi that I'm on right now from Pennsylvania for Thanksgiving. Wow. I'm currently a senior in high school. And uh, and uh, as by far the biggest college hoops head in my school, this podcast helps me get my fix three times a week other than talking my dad's head off about the greatness of Belmont and the and, and tearing through Southern Conference box scores in my free time. Thanks for all that y'all do for the sport, and I hope to meet y'all one day when I do play-by-play for a Final Four as long as it's not in Minneapolis again. Shouts to Larnell. Shouts to Dylan Windler's uncle. <laughs> Uh, first of all, <laughs> <laughs> Dylan Miller's uncle. Oh, that went for a turn at the end. Did that homie just say he was driving from Pennsylvania to Mississippi for Thanksgiving? In high school, he came. Hopefully, he's he's riding. Would you trust a high school? But still, person? that's a hell of a drive. A hell of a drive. That's serious stuff, man. That's you can get in a whole season of Ion College basketball. You really market. can, especially at one point five speed. There. Okay. Well, what's uh, what's review number two? The next one comes from Brad in Tampa. He writes, I'm a big consumer of podcasts overall and subscribe to several college basketball podcasts as I can't get enough of them. I listen to podcasts primarily during my workouts and commutes. This is the podcast I save for the worst moments, either when I'm stuck in traffic or have to do an intense workout. Why? Because these guys can bring a smile to my face no matter what is going on around me. They bring humor and knowledge to all topics, and their off-topic banter is second to none. I love the off-season uh, podcast when nothing is going on, and they still manage to go for well over an hour. He continues from there for, with some uh, really nice stuff. I will say, I, I don't know if we really have the best uh, college basketball podcast. I mean, people say it all the time. I don't know if it's true. People do say it all the time. I, I can't. I can't speak. It's not my place to say. People do say it all the time, but it's not my place <laughs> to say it. Like I will say times. this. I will say this. If we are the best at getting more than an hour out of absolutely nothing, <laughs> nobody's better at that. Oh, my gosh. And the listeners, they don't even know the half of it sometimes, man. <laughs> they don't even know the half of it. But we we do appreciate it, and we thank you. Uh, if you can return in kind, keep those reviews coming and um and for those i know plenty of you like we prefer the apple podcast reviews because it's by far the most downloaded uh kind we have but if you are the type that's listening to this and you're not subscribed just know that like google play spotify stitcher like six other kinds of podcast services that i don't even know about it's available on any of those so please do subscribe and if those services allow you to review, uh, do the same there. We highly, highly appreciate it and hope that this episode, which is you know creeping up now on an hour yet again, holds you over until we get to our next podcast Wednesday morning. GP, you're going to be in New York Tuesday night. Are you also doing studio work again Wednesday or are we facing a you got to fly home Wednesday morning kind of situation here? We're facing, I was going to talk to you about this off podcast, but we are facing, I'm flying home on Wednesday morning. So we got, oh we've got um, a decision to make. It's either a late night Tuesday podcast, like, like we do sometimes, or it's a, a Wednesday afternoon podcast. All right, we're going to, I cannot make that decision right now. We'll, we'll decide if Tuesday night gets insane, maybe. I don't know if I can do a December podcast at 1.40 a.m., though. <laughs> like, but we'll get it to you regardless. No, nevertheless, it's coming. You'll have a Wednesday podcast at one point or another. And, yeah, that's that's all I got, man. I'm, I'm done here. 
Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M.F. Fatigo. He's a legend. Shouts to Larnell. Shouts to Keith Dodley. Shouts to Brad from Tampa. Please go subscribe to the Iron College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcasts. Rate it favorably. Five stars, nice comments. You do that, and we will talk to you again Wednesday. Could be 1 a.m., could be 2 p.m., could be at some point in between. But we will talk to you again on Wednesday. Till then, take care. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.